Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. That was Sally with Out of the Pan, and she's on every Sunday at midday from 12 to 1 before us, and her final song was Colin Hay, which was Beautiful World. Really nice song. Oh, okay. I didn't recognise that was Colin Hay. Yeah. And uh, my name's Trevor. Um, I'm joined by Carolyn. Hello. And we are likely to be joined by Meg soon. Any She's second. just walking through the studio now. Hello, everyone. There we go. <laughs> so we're all here. Excellent. We are all here. <laughs> but yeah, so today we are talking about documentaries. We are. We are. We're talking about... A couple about of specific ones. A documentary film called Stray, which was released in 2020. And it's a film by um, a filmmaker called Elizabeth Liu. And it's actually the first feature-length film for, um, for Elizabeth. And she was inspired to make the film um, when in her grief over the death of her own dog, she began to examine how various cultures around the world consider and interact with dogs. Mm. Mm. I find it fascinating. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do too. So it was filmed across um, two years, so across 2017 to 2019 on the streets of Istanbul and also um, other parts of Turkey. And the film does focus on a trio of dogs, uh, Zetan, Nazar and Kartul, with Zetan being, I guess, the star of the film. We see a lot of, of Zetan throughout the film. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um I I really liked it and I actually really liked the way that Elizabeth, the director, um, she basically had the dogs tell her own story. So this actually had for me very uh, Baraka vibes. Do you remember the – there's a documentary called Baraka. I've heard of it. I haven't yep. watched yeah, it. Yeah, and it's an amazing story. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath because I rushed here. It's an amazing story in that um, Baraka doesn't have a narrator, which is the same as Stray. There's no narrator narrating the story and um, that to me was really quite uh, quite poignant because we're literally following I mean the main character is Zayton the the main dog um, and we're following them around and following you know what it's like to, to live a life the day in the life of a dog in Turkey mm-hmm. and I have to say like this this whole um, this whole documentary made me actually really think about the way that I view dogs and the way that I sort of look at the, at the way our society treats dogs. Mm-hmm. 
Because I don't know about both of you. I for the first the first thing that I thought in this, and I have to admit it, is oh my gosh, those poor dogs. I'm glad we don't treat dogs that way here. You know, in you know in Australia. And of course, I had to really rethink that, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you. I mean, Caroline, how did you feel when you first saw the dogs on the streets of, of, of Istanbul? How did you feel about the way they were treated, about their situation, what it said, you know, about the people surrounding them and, and you know, and, and Turkey as a whole? Because I don't know, and people might not know, but Turkey has a, it's illegal to uh, kill or harm any of the street dogs, mm, we'll but also exactly, mm. also importantly, mm-hmm. it's actually it's mm-hmm. illegal to capture them. Yeah. So they are essentially dogs of the city. They are no they, yeah. they are no one's dogs. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I was actually really fascinated by the acceptance of the dogs on mm. the street. So people either walk past them and sort of ignored them, like they're a normal background of the vista. You know, like birds they, or it's, something. It's people are experiencing their own lives. Yeah. Mm. Or for the most part. Um, people engage with them in a positive way. Pats and yeah. affection if the if the dogs were near them and, and seemed willing, um, giving them some food, giving them some treats. You know, there's a parent um, advising their young child not to be afraid um, of Zetan, you know, give her a treat. There was a um, scenario that I didn't like so much with a couple of people sitting in the park and Zetan was standing next to them and they were sort of saying, shoo, yes, shoo, yeah. shoo, mm. stupid dog. And, you know, who said that you mm. can, you know, defecate there and, you know. But, you know, I did also, Zetan seemed a bit nonplussed. And yeah. Which, just to note, those two people were actually tourists as well. So sure. they, yeah, sure. that's also good sure. to note that they weren't from Turkey as well. So maybe that's, you know. That's not something as a reflection of the way that Turkish people treat them. So, mm. yeah. I had a similar reaction, I guess, to you, Meg, but I um, I didn't really look at it from a lens of like a culture as much. I was like, it makes sense to. I just don't know why mm. I didn't. I was purely just looking at it as though these these dogs, what what their life is like, how is their life, like what's their sort of quality of life, what they go through yeah. and was I... Was I thinking that that was good or not good compared to what may be an average, you know, domesticated dog's life would be? And that was sort of the way I, or that was like the lens I was looking at the film through, like without knowing, like that was just my background yeah, thought was very much same. Was like, yeah. um, you know, dogs I've lived with or dogs that I've known that have lived with friends of mine, like how is the quality of life for these dogs compared to those dogs? And like mm. rather than an a country versus country thing or a culture versus culture thing. It was like definitely the, the idea of, you know, being set in Turkey was really clear and I was aware of it, but I wasn't really focusing as like, this was a, a Turkish thing or this is a Turkish culture thing. It was like, it seemed actually pretty representative of what would happen in any culture if they'd done a similar legal step. Like, I don't think there wasn't anything I saw that was really out of, out of um, nature of, of what you would think, just other people that you know your own neighbors and people on the street would react to dogs when when they react to dogs like i didn't think that there was anything particularly like special with the humans or the the city embracing them as such it was more just it it looked pretty realistic as to what would happen if that happened in america or if that happened in new zealand or if that Mm. happened in the uk like i think that 
most people would just start to, you know, there'd be a, a section of the population that likes them and they feed them and give them attention. There'd be a section of the population that really doesn't like them and just tries to ignore them. Same as, say, people that are sleeping rough or whatever. Um, and then people all various in between. And sometimes it depends on their mood as such. Mm. But So I wasn't really focusing on that as much. I don't think I was really... The thing I did like about the movie is that it, I think it told that story from a dog's point of view really mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So it, yeah. that was yeah. one of the aims, I think, of the director. And I think that came through really well is that you get to see things from a dog's perspective mm. fairly well. Like, yeah. Obviously, it's hard for us to know exactly what a dog's perspective is as we're not dogs. But mm. yeah. it's what I would imagine is a really a pretty good representation of a dog's perspective. Yeah. So just on that, I read um, that several weeks into production, Elizabeth, the director, was returning from dinner and she ran into her leading dog, Zeton, on the street. So she decided to run back to the hostel and grab her gear and set out on her own, um, unaccompanied by a producer or, or a sounds person, to follow Zeton. So the result was this sort of hour-long meander um, across along the streets of Istanbul, which in the film is sort of about a seven-minute sequence of um, canine drama. So it captures oh, the yes. it yep. captures the yep. two dog fights. Yes, um, you know it captures them finding you know these meaty treats um, in the trash. Um, people that you know want to interact with them. Um, a happy reunion with a group of Syrian teenagers that have quite a lovely relationship with the dogs that, you know, they sort of interact with each other. Um, uh, yeah, both with Zetan and um, sort of her main dog pal, um, Nazar. So I thought that was really, really fascinating. And that was the footage where we could see, um, you know, handheld um, camera sort of running down the street and mm. it was a bit jarring seeing that, you know, Nazar didn't want to share um, share the bones with um, Zetan. There was someone who's driving driving a garbage truck who came over and was saying, hey, don't be so selfish yeah. to Nazar to try and, you know, get them to sort of have a bone each. Um, yeah. yeah, I thought that was really quite quite sort of fascinating seeing sort of how how that all sort of came together. And I felt like that was a bit of a territorial thing, that second fight where um, Zaytan, I think it was Zaytan, was coming across a bunch of dogs that perhaps were from a different uh, group and it was very much, you're in our territory, get out. And it was interesting to watch when she was fighting with Nazar, she was quite, you know, like she was kind of fighting back. Mm. But when she came across this group of dogs, I mean, I don't know if she'd ever encountered them before, but she was very submissive and she just stopped and yes. sat down. Yes. And yes. Uh, that was quite like uh, my heart was in my mouth. Like I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. is she going to be okay? Yeah. Because it looked quite violent. But in the end I realised it wasn't actually, it was all a bit for show. And um, I think that was the point where, uh, you mean street, from a dog perspective? From a sure. dog perspective, abs- well, it was all it was all yep. like um, you know you're on our territory. We've got to make a big fuss about it. We've got to kind of look violent and scary. Yeah. A bit of a standoff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that was also the scene where they used the hose to. Um, yes. I think that they were breaking it up, but also to move them on. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's interesting what you said, Trev, um, because. Looking through, uh, you know, just watching them go about their daily life and also, you know, the, the night life as well. I was also doing the same. I was constantly comparing it. And like, what, what does it, you know, what's the life of a dog like here, you know, in say Australia? 
as compared to what they were, you know, what they have? And how does it compare with regards to enjoyment of life, access to things that they need, uh, you know, packs because dogs are pack animals. You know, they've mm. they've been around humans for uh, upwards of forty six thousand years, and you know, and th- that kind of brings me to the point where um, I want to talk about the fact that stray wasn't just about the stray dogs; it no. was also about no. the stray boys living on mm-hmm. the streets, the refugees from Aleppo in mm. Syria, and their relationship. And I, what I saw, their, their intense need for the, the company of those dogs. And have, to have them, I mean, it wasn't just the boys giving, you know, the dogs love and affection. It was the, the boys receiving love and affection from these dogs. And I think, you know, yeah. with the rough yeah. life that they've had, yeah. they really needed that too. They yeah. needed that like they needed to feel part of a pack, yeah. Um, and I felt that that was um, that was also a really poignant part of the documentary. Absolutely, this relationship between yeah. the dogs and the boys, and then yeah. you know the pu- the puppy um, was it Qatar? Or? Yeah, and then I think when they they took named it, her, yeah, they, they named her Sari. Sari, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. what I thought yeah. of Rose, and I'm like, who's this Qatar? Yeah. yeah. So do you want to talk about what they did? So you know that that whole point where they they got the puppy. Well, that they really wanted to take a dog, mm. remember? And they'd had that yes. discussion with some of the people, the they adults. Were, the people living on, there was a ship and they had puppies yeah, on the and ship. And they were right on the dock. Yeah. And it sounded as though those people didn't think that they should have a dog. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because who are they and are they going to care for the dog and, you know, all of these sorts of things. Mm. Um, but then... They were almost sort of given this message, but if you can take, if you can capture one, you yeah, can sort of take well, one. Did you find that really odd? It, well, mm. see, there was a security guard. It was one yeah. person, for and sure. And he for was sure. like, you know, look, you, I don't think you, you're, you know, you're up to caring for this. How are you going to look after the dog? And the boys were yeah. like, we will take care of the dog. We ha- we take care of these other dogs. And and the security guard, the staff from the ship said, well, you can have one if you steal it, kind yeah. of thing. You know, I as in down, on the down low. Yeah, he was saying that. And um, and then and we so see them. Did. We see them afterwards captured. Like they've got this puppy in this blanket. And the really lovely thing is, you know, like who are we to question whether somebody who doesn't have a home should be taking care of an animal? Like mm-hmm. you know, you get into that whole like, mm-hmm. you know, are we, is our view of a homeless person being put onto them by saying that they can't have a pet or they're not worthy to have a pet? And you know, and you kind of get into yeah. that questioning of it. Yeah. And then when we see that, you know, I do, I feel sorry for the puppy because he looks so alone when he's sort of sitting there and, and you know, he's being, or she's being filmed. I think it's a, it's a, it's mm. a girl. Um, but then in the morning we see the puppy underneath the blanket of one of the boys yeah. and, you know, he's hugging it. And it, that's quite heartbreaking to me because, you know, you see this love, but you see, you know that both of those creatures aren't going to have an easy life. Yeah, and they're not going to have the opportunities that perhaps they should have. Um, and I, I really like. I felt that the dogs and the boys' lives and the story in that documentary were completely intertwined. You couldn't take one away from the other. Absolutely. And it's in keeping with Absolutely. that whole idea that dogs are pack animals, mm-hmm. and the pack doesn't have to just include other dogs. Mm. The pack also includes humans in our human families. We have dogs, mm. and our dog is a part of our family. And to us, and to them. Our we are part of their pack. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's also interesting, I think, that there's that sort of judgment, as you said, about how will someone who 
you know, is in poverty or on the streets look after a dog when the alternative is that the dog is just stray on the street anyway. Exactly. It's not much of a yeah. difference. Like, it's, I don't even know if it can really be worse than – because if the dog was, was, was feeling worse, they would just probably run away or, like, it wouldn't be yeah. that hard, especially once mm. they grow up a bit. Like, it just seems a bit strange, like, especially in that context when you've got – the alternative is just them, the dog on the street. Yeah, than without a pack and without support. Yeah. And, and as yeah. I said, dogs are social creatures and they would feel some kind of angst not belonging to some kind of group as we do. You know, we we are social creatures. We don't like to be fully alone. I mean, obviously, some of us like me love to be alone, but we're not always alone. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, that angst would be felt. To put it in a different context, like even though because I could tell as you were describing, you know, that situation, like there's similar sentiment that happens even locally, like in our communities, like people might look down on people who are sleeping rough because they've got a pet and I think that they can't look after that pet. And then the pet should be taken the off them. pet should them. be taken off them, that yeah. sort of thing. It's like, well, we're currently in a society where instead of all the other animals being strays, they're all locked up in pounds and they're going to get mm-hmm. killed. Exactly so like, my what's point. what's really yes. a worse alternative? Yes. Like is it rather than focusing on this dog who has someone that really loves them and is trying to look out look after them as best they can isn't it better to put your energy into the ones that are going to get killed next week rather than this one who just happens to be living on the street but still has a human that really loves them the interesting thing was that um katal or as she was renamed sari was the favorite of one of the dock workers and I think he was a bit upset. He oh, had said, you know, how special she was. So I think he was a bit upset that she was removed from what I guess we assume the stray was pack. her mother and siblings, yeah. other dogs that look very much like her. Um, but that was the dog that those boys um, really wanted and yeah. decided to sort of yeah. take with them. But then there was a really interesting conversation amongst those adults, amongst those, um, those men, saying that, you know, I – um, those teens talking about the, the the teenagers that they hurt themselves, but I don't think that they'll hurt animals. Like they yes. they care for her and that they've wrapped mm. her in a blanket. And so it was it yes. was interesting then I think for them to to recognise that and to recognise that in in those boys, which I thought was a really interesting moment yeah. of sort of you know, some kind of humanity. Because uh, we do learn that those boys have been living on the streets for a couple of years yes. in Turkey. I think they were two or three years. Um, two they'd, years. They'd, yeah. yeah, they'd fled yeah. from um, Aleppo yeah. in Syria and had come to yeah to Turkey. And, you know, I kind of think that that's a bit of a microcosm, the way that the guy was talking to those kids and, and the kind of the care that he showed to them um, was very similar to the care that a lot of many of the, uh, you know, the people of Istanbul were showing to the dogs as well. It's mm. like, and you know, just to to let to give some background, um, these uh, refugee boys, uh, they were sniffing glue, living on the streets, uh, and that was what he was talking about, I believe, when he said that they were hurting themselves. Correct. They were using yeah, drugs. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's it kind of I, I and when he was talking on the dock about the dogs. He said something along the lines of, you know, you can go back to Syria and get an education and stuff like that. And as misguided as that was, we saw that there was some care for the boys shown by that dog mm. worker. Mm. Um, you know, and, and again, there was a care shown to, to the dogs on the street mm. by people. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, most of the people walking down the street who passed those teenagers ignored them yeah yes so in a sense there was more community care acknowledgement and affection showed to 
the stray dogs on the street. Yes. And there were two young boys, um, yeah. you know, yeah. who, who were sort of living on the streets, mm. sleeping rough, um, sleeping in abandoned buildings. Because remember, they're told to move on from an abandoned building. Mm. You can't, exactly. You, you can't, can't sleep be here. here. You, you can't, can't be, be here. here. But there's um, nowhere else for them but to go. There's nowhere else for them to go. You know, uh, they're refugees and, you know, they're trying And quite like often the dogs would actually also go to that building and be mm. around them. Yes. Right? So yeah, back to absolutely. what you were saying, Meg, about, um, you know, finding um, that pack yeah. and being part of that pack. Because I imagine that, you know, if, say, if I put myself in those, that, their, their shoes, you know, I, I have, I come from a war torn country, I have escaped that violence and that terror only to come to a country that treats me like a piece of trash like Mm -hmm. you know I can't find anywhere I can't get any care I can't get any I have no opportunities uh what am I going to do I'm going to find a pack I'm going to find a pack of boys and I'm going to find you know some animals who are going to be my pack we're not going to discriminate who is the in the pack and Mm. one of the lovely things that I I found in the um the documentary is and I used to do this as a kid. I don't know how great it is for the dog, but, you know, when you picked the dog up by its legs and, you know, put it up uh, onto the, you know, like made it dance and they were dancing around in a circle with, I think it was Zayton. Um, and, you know, she's like, she's biting their hands, kind of play, playing like that. And it was just a, a really poignant moment of joy between, you know, friends and I really loved that. And, it, I mean, how, how often does that kind of joy happen and you're sitting there and you're dancing in a circle with your friends. And I really mm. liked that part. I, I really loved that because I remember I have fond memories from my childhood of, of my dogs. Um, you know, our, our dog Bonnie, we used to do that for her, with her and she loved it. <laughs> yeah. And you could see that there was an, an enjoyment because you can see that, you know, even though she's biting their hands, she's doing it in a playful way. It's, mm. I don't know, it's really lovely. Yeah. yeah, there were definitely some beautiful moments of connection between yeah. Yeah, those teenage boys and, and the dogs. There was one thing you said just earlier, though, Carolyn, um, that I want to come back to. You mentioned about how when the puppy was taken away from what we presume is their family and how that could be seen as a negative of providing more care for a singular animal. Mm. And I guess that was what was also running through my head the whole time was this sort of yin-yang or this like binary of like swapping between of, well, what are the benefits of them being stray versus what are the, mm. you know, cons of them when they're domesticated in and forced to live in more human societies rather than their own societies as mm. strays. And there was, it was, I don't really know the, the full answer or like how I feel. Like I'm mm. sort of on the fence because. I yeah. definitely questioned that myself when I was looking at how they reacted and where they could go and the yeah. freedom that they had. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's that freedom is a huge positive. Like mm. they can do what they want. They've got complete autonomy. They make their own communities. Like sure, yep. we might not think they're always the happiest and especially when there's fights and things and some mm. of them might kill each other, but they, you know, they're, they're, they're living their own life completely. Like there's, there's a real benefit they and are. positive in that, in that they're not restricted. They're not, um, you know, enslaved in any way. They're not caged in any way or yeah, captured. Absolutely. Like, they've got all this freedom. And it made me think that, well, it also just sort of parallels with, I guess, a lot of our like discussions about even wild animals. Mm-hmm. Like I know mm-hmm. a, a big thing in the last sort of decade or even less has been talking about wild animal suffering and Mm -hmm. how much we should be focusing on that versus domesticated animals. And it's causing a bit of a divide amongst some animal advocates as like, Mm. you know, 
animals in the wild should be just left be because it's how nature intended and that sort of thing versus, well, if these animals in the wild are actually living miserable lives, should we intervene and try and help them in some way? And are there right and wrong ways to intervene? And that was sort of playing in my head as I was watching the movie as well, because dogs, I guess we've all had a lot more experience I assume with dogs and some other animals, especially mm. some other wild animals. So it's a bit mm. easier, especially for us. as a species, us as a species. Yeah, yeah. and it's mm. easier for us to try and, I guess, see things from a dog's point of view, and maybe think that we're understanding a bit more of maybe how the dog feels and what the dog's quality of life is because we've been exposed to so many yeah. dogs mm. in our lives, and we've we've seen the range of emotions and the range of ways they live their life, like when they're happy, when yeah. they're sad, when they're scared, when they're, you know, content, when they're not like you know, when they're anxious, like we all have a pretty good understanding of mm. that. And it's probably harder for us to tell that about a possum or about a, a yeah. bird, you know, yeah. because we just haven't had as much experience with them. So I thought yeah. that was a really, agree. Yeah. really interesting lens to look at it through was how much of this is a real net positive versus net negative And how do you weigh it up? And how does that then get bounced out to other species that you're potentially going to want to intervene with, you know, as, as advocates in a, in a big global scale, like in a philo- philosophical sort of way, like yeah. what's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? Like when's, when is it a good intervention? When's it a bad intervention? When are they better just left alone? When are they not? Yeah. And I don't yeah. have the answers, but it was just really, yeah. Yeah. Let's pause there and go to our first song. First song? Which so one is this? The first song is um, by an artist called Soldusk. This is from an album called Lunar Falls, and the track is The Elm. In solitude we walk, shrouded in our dreams, into the
Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help, on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 84007300. That's 84007300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kinder. Kinder programs provide culturally safe places for children and families and are led by qualified teachers. Enroll for 2024. Speak with your preferred kinder service or local council today about how to register for a place. Corey Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kinder. Authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Australia's energy market is broken. Right, but co-power gives you better energy? Nope, no retailer can control where the electrons they buy off the grid come from. But as a co-power member, you can vote on where 100% of revenue goes. So instead of corporate profit, your energy bill builds the world you want to be a part of. That's cool. Learn more about the solidarity economy and co-power today and take the power back. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. You're with Caroline, Meg and Trev. We are talking about Stray, a documentary film by Elizabeth uh, Liu. And the song that we just heard is by Soldusk. It's called The Elm and it's on their album Lunar Falls. Mm. So I was just saying in the break that the lens through which I was observing the whole film and the interaction of, of the dogs is... Um, I guess really admiring and appreciating their agency. Yes. That mm. they did what they want when they wanted. Mm. They went um, where they want. They went where they want. They associated you know, we with We saw who them they want. traipsing around the streets of Istanbul and the yeah. outskirts of the city. Mm. We saw them on the beach. We saw them chasing cats and other dogs. Um, we saw them approaching people, being around people like the, the teenagers we were talking about. Um, and essentially just doing their own thing. And I just thought, fantastic. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you get to live your own life. Mm. Yeah. There are so many urges and so many desires that, you know, the animals that we have as family members, we do not allow them to indulge. Mm. Um, and that's kind of like, I think we should get onto that at some stage in the show. Um, but I just wanted to talk about... Um, so when we when I we first started talking about this and I said, hey, this is the lens that I saw this through, and I immediately knew that it wasn't a good lens of like, oh, look at these poor dogs on the streets, you know, our our you know our streets aren't like that, you know. But then of course I realised, mere seconds later, um, that well, hang on a sec, 
our problem is literally just not visible to us. So any stray dogs that we have on the streets are quickly caught by the local councils and the pounds. Mm. They're impounded and eventually if they don't find a home, and we, as we know, many, many of them don't find homes, they're put to sleep. And so, yeah. you know... It's w- normally a matter of days or I weeks, think it's, Yeah, it? exactly. I think it's a matter of weeks at the most. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that idea of us, you know, being more civilised in our treatment of dogs in, is demonstrably a lie. Mm. It's, it's a mm. myth. We don't treat our dogs better. We simply take the problem and, and put it out of sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these yeah. and these dogs, uh, you know, the dogs that we have that are seen as strays, because there is a very very distinct difference between dogs um, that are pets here in Australia and dogs that are strays. The strays aren't owned by anyone. The pets are owned by the family. Um, and I I think I think there's a little bit more of a, a linear sort of uh, a non-linear or non-binary gradation uh, in in Turkey in that. You know, if there is a street dog you're particularly friends with, you feed it every day, it comes into your house, but then it goes away, you could see that dog as one as your pet or you're part of your family. Um, whereas that's, that delineation isn't as uh, – we, we very much put them in boxes here. And, um, and it was actually quite confronting to realise that that first reaction that I had was quite wrong and that what we do to animals here is far more brutal, to be honest, because we take away their agency and then we take their lives when no mm. one claims them for their family. Mm. Yeah. And I, I thought that that was horrifying to think that my first thought was, oh, we don't do that here in Australia. And, you know, and look, so many times I've questioned my thoughts and my feelings and the way that I've, you know, been brought up in this society and this culture and been confronted with the fact that what I think is is wrong, uh, and that was one of them. That was actually something that the documentary came like that that put me in that kind of cognitive dissonance, and I had to kind of dissolve that cognitive dissonance. And as we all know, as animal activists, you know, our society is full of cognitive dissonance yeah. you know, that we have to confront, mm, even yeah. in ourselves. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh no, I I, I agree, but I was. It's it's a difficult one because like when you look at that bigger philosophical sort of thing, like I can, I'll put it this way: I definitely agree that like in shelters is a horrible life and is mm. worse than being on the street. Um, mm. I don't think we know enough, especially not from this documentary. Like I think there's more of a parallel maybe with cats in this country with the dogs over there yes. because we have a lot more stray cats yeah. that tend to keep roaming free, um, even though they still technically should all be you know by the law picked up and put in shelters and the same fate but it doesn't happen as often with cats as it does with dogs for some reason they have a, they, they have a really um good like they, they're very good at hiding so they'll go into their smaller mm. they go into small spaces so they won't be harder to catch i think so i think yeah. and dogs are sort of i guess more friendly and they're easy they're larger usually so they're often more visible and they kind of tend to come into human areas whereas the cats don't tend they tend to but get their of, nooks and crannies you hear of people adopting street cats here a lot more than adopting a street like I, I never hear of someone adopting a street dog but you hear of people I, adopting a street cat every now and then i wonder if that's the number of street dogs versus street cats because as mm, i said yeah, like a dog yeah. is visible and a dog yeah. is actually going to be more likely to be reported to the council and picked up picked by up, the pound absolutely and i think maybe absolutely. that number of stray cats that people are adopting is more so a factor of the number that are on the streets versus yeah. the number of dogs mm. that are on the streets yeah which i, I think that's probably right yeah. and so that was why just just sort of putting sort of, it out there yeah and that was my parallel of sort of like thinking well these dogs in turkey are probably very similar to the 
cats that we see locally yes. that are strays. Yeah. And on a short-term sort of level, you can definitely see that they've got better lives. On a long-term level, it's difficult because yeah. you don't know. Like I know that the life of a um, of a stray cat is a very low life expectancy compared to that of domesticated mm. cats. Mm. Um, I know that they're also more likely to suffer, you know, long-term illnesses and mm. to suffer and to feel pain and just to put up with it. And that's 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 like a lot of wild animals' experiences as wild animals is a lot of suffering and pain. And we, we tend to gloss over that and just hope that that doesn't happen because they're in nature. It's how they're supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm, I'm doing this a little bit as a devil's advocate here because I'm, but, but it's because a lot of people don't think about this issue. I think yeah. a lot of animal advocates think that any animal that is not touched by humans is living a perfect, happy, amazing life. But what's the definition of not touched by humans? And literally is any animal on earth not touched by humans these True. days? That's, that's, that's arguably not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, that, but that idealistic, I guess, image that a lot of animal advocates have of just if an animal's in the jungle or in the bush or in the ocean or whatever and they're just doing their own thing, that they're happy and that they're, mm. you know, like they're in heaven. You know, they're just yeah, they're rainbows doing... and sunshine and everything. And it's like yeah. most of the time it's not. Um, I think... I don't know. I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but there's a lot of people mm. saying that the more and more research is done, they're showing that, and it makes sense that wild animals are struggling, like because there's often competing for food, competing for resources, competing for shelter. There's fighting intraspecies outside of the other species. There's the threats. There's there's everything. There's you know there, there's no snuggles on the couch when you're a wild animal. There's no like food coming regularly straight yeah. from a packet. There's there's no you know, there's, there's a lot of things that they don't get. And I'm not trying to say one's definitely better than the other because I know there's a lot of things that are intrinsically wrong with, you know, captivity, including yeah. sometimes what we do with pets. I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm, I'm saying that there's, yeah. there's positives and negatives to both, I guess. And mm. my, my overall point is And it's good to that, think about that. Yeah, to keep yeah. them all in the air at the same time yeah. and just don't think there's one perfect way and one absolutely wrong way. I think we've got to try and... Pick the best of everything that's going to end up with a better yeah. world mm. and a better experience for animals. I think this is this is one of the great things about this show and these conversations that we have is that we are not going to be thinking that things are black and white, and mm. we're going to sit there and we may have mm. very different views. But what we know what we know for a fact is that everyone here in the room has the animal's welfare and the animal's best interests in mind. So we will sit here and we will talk it out and we'll say, I disagree with you and I think this. Mm. But we're always going to have a complicated conversation because we know that the conversations that are the com most complicated and the most that go in the most in-depth and don't think it's a black and white issue are mm. often the most productive yeah. towards progress for animals and their you know and their rights and and their ability to live on this earth so yeah but i also yeah. want to go on the record as saying i completely agree with carolyn at the start of the movie i was thinking and hoping that it would be and it you know a a showing of real agency and um autonomy and freedom and i did see that and i loved those aspects of it mm. it was just as the movie went on it just you know, your brain just keeps ticking and thinking. Like it's it's hard to sort of stay in just one mode. You're just thinking yeah. as you see more and more happening. And I'm not saying that that's even not my final position. I'm, I might be sort of leaning that way. Um, it's just mm. so difficult. No, that's, what, that's what all good intelligent people do. They're, they're, you know, their views that we currently hold now might not be the, be the views that we hold in a couple of years. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm with Carolyn. I think that the agency that the dogs had 
that we saw that they had was a very, very important factor in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we Completely. think about the agency that we have in our lives, the more control we have over our lives in general, and studies have shown this, the happier that we are, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the less stressed that we are. So, you know, who's to say that that's not going to be something that the dogs experience as well? Mm, definitely. Yeah. Mm. And that sort of ties into what we're also mentioning in the break, which was the negatives of domesticated life of animals even though we try our best to give them a life that is as happy as possible there are some unavoidable negatives which is this other side of the binary i'm talking about Mm. so it's the you know i've talked about the negatives of wild animals and now it's the negatives of domesticated animals even though we're trying our best yeah, this is a yeah. very controversial topic, isn't well, it? Yes. And, and, you know, I think we often overlay our own wants and needs, and I think that's undeniable. Yeah. Oh, there is, there right? is, and that's yeah, everything no to do can, with dismantling the whole concept of pethood. You know, mm. um, designer dogs, the way dogs are bred, um, the way yeah. they're commodified. It's it's all part of that capitalist and it's all structure about, about our needs owning, and our wants, about owning yeah. an animal, which I have so much of an issue with. But even yeah. oh, yeah. that's that's the worst case scenario. Even the best case scenario, if you've got animal advocates who are trying to do their absolute best to to give an animal a shelter and, and adopt someone, and like for example with cats, yeah, you can't let them out at night. That's their natural yeah. behaviour is to go out at night and to hunt. We don't we restrict them from doing that. We re, we remove yes. their autonomy. We we remove their freedom. And that makes me sad and stresses me that that's the case. I and agree. And it's this it's this we're trying to weigh up. Well, it's yeah. The, What's the best you know, thing to do? Are we going to restrict the freedoms of this cat or are we going to let the cat do their natural behaviour and kill wildlife? Yeah. Mm. And it's what's the best thing to do? Exactly. And it's, I don't, I'm not saying I have the answer. I don't. I, I'm, I'm just saying I see the negatives on both sides and it Absolutely. frustrates me when I hear animal advocates only talking about one side as if it's perfect. Like, no, mm. no, you have to keep your cats locked up. You're a monster. What are you talking about? They're going to kill other birds. It's like, well... How would you feel like if you were just locked? You you did, you know, with COVID, you were locked up at home. Everyone hated it. Yeah. Why do you want to do that mm. to your cat? And you think that's perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, here is where I publicly uh, tell everyone my views on this, which is going to be quite controversial. Look, and and please, I need to sort of, there's a caveat on this. And I would say in a perfect world, and this is like in a perfect world, there would be no pets. Correct. I don't yeah. think I, I personally agree. think that, I and agree. I I actually think Absolutely that that agree. will will irk a lot of our listeners, um, but that's in a perfect world. Now mm. we don't live in a perfect world. In fact, we live in a terrible world for for pet animals mm. uh, that aren't wanted, and you know the ones that are excessively bred and etc. So at the moment, what we have is a situation that we have to ameliorate the suffering of the animals in existence. And mm-hmm. so having a pet in your family at the moment, for me, a rescued pet is an active way of resisting the situation that we have with animals. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you rescue, if you actively rescue animals and have them as companion animals, you are part of the active resistance against what's happening to animals, what's happening to our companion animals. And if you deliberately and willingly buy from a breeder 
you are an active part of the oppression and the suffering of animals. And I can't make that clearer. I, I, I don't have any respect for someone who wants to breed animals for money because we know what happens and we know the mm. situations that animals that aren't wanted, that aren't up to the standard in air quotes of people who breed animals. Um, you know, yeah. so res- we in a perfect world, we wouldn't have this situation, but we don't, we don't live in a perfect world. Mm. And for me, I've always wondered because I've always been that sort of person that questions things. And I, you know, I, I had a cat um, a number of years ago. She died at the ripe old age of 19 and I loved her. Her name was Ganita. And I always used to think she she's desexed. She doesn't get to participate in, you know, procreative activities with anyone and she will never yeah. have children. Uh, she eats what I feed her. She goes where I dictate that she's able to go. Yeah. She associates with only the people I let her associate with. She uh, plays with the things that I give her and only the things that I give her. She has very little agency as a pet and that Mm. made me sad. And I felt like this creature that lived in my house that was part of my family was almost there as an appendage of mine so that I could get comfort and love. And where where was the reciprocity what kind of life did she have and that's a this is a difficult thing for people who have pets in their families to really wrestle um, with wrestle with and i encourage people who are listening to really have a think about it because it's not black and white as and try to put away the knee-jerk reactions exactly so many things of what we've said there's a typical knee-jerk reaction massive knee-jerk reaction of why you can support and justify the status quo, even of vegans or animal advocates and what, what is the, the typical mainstream view. But we're not going to get anywhere if we just do yeah. that. We should and be que- yeah, questioning all these things. Exactly. Constantly. And questioning our own knee-jerk reactions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, as I question the knee-jerk reaction to, you know, the, the, the stray documentary about how those animals were treated in comparison to us, we have to question these things. Yeah. And we have to go, like, always be thinking of the animals and the situations they're in and how we can help them best and not what our emotions and our needs are surrounding them because we're essentially using pets, in my opinion, as emotional tools for comfort. Mm-hmm. And whether that is a you know good thing or not, I mean, I have so much to say on the evolution of cats and dogs with, with humans and I have so much respect for that relationship and that evolution, but who benefits the most? Well, that's it. Yeah. And- we have to acknowledge that we've created a human-centric worldview of animals that have essentially been colonised into pethood. And yeah, I have yes. a really big issue with us calling them pets, but I'll yeah. leave that aside for yeah. the moment. But we smooth over this truth by telling ourselves that we love them. But what kind of love is based on ownership? And yeah. so that's the lens as well through which I was watching Stray, mm. thinking yes. – these dogs liberated are, li- from that. are liberated yeah. from that, are liberated from our human expectation over their lives because we think and we believe we know best, right? Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the film when we see Zetan hearing a call to prayer over, um, you know, a speaker and she starts to vocalise alongside with that, who's not to say that she's not living her best life? Mm. Yeah. And I just want to put that into context, Caroline. So... What happens in in the documentary is that um, when when they capture uh, Sari or Katal, the young puppy that they take, um, they're on the streets and they're they're sleeping, and a police car comes up, 
and the boys are arrested for sleeping on the streets, which is a whole other issue. But um, And then uh, Katal slash Sari is taken in and, and removed from their care. And then what we see afterwards, I think, I don't know if this is how long past that, but then when Zayton is alone in the park, I presumably think that she's been separated from her pack, i.e. the, the Syrian boys, and she's alone. And I think, you know, maybe that kind of that talk and, and that sort of howling that she does with the, the speakers is that, you know, maybe she wants her pack back. Maybe she doesn't have them. See, I didn't yeah. see it that way. Oh, really? Thought, That's I interesting. Thought it was, I thought and it was a moment. And this is And I don't know because yeah. I, can't, I can't talk to Zayn. We can't but, speak dog. But I... <laughs> Yeah, but I thought it was a moment of solitude, and I thought she was enjoying where she was, and that yeah. she was then vocalising alongside the beautiful, um, beautiful prayer she could hear. And this is isn't the, that fascinating? Here lies the problem. Isn't We've got two very different views of what Zayton was doing in there, yeah. and and this is what we do. I'm yeah. deliberately not going to say what I think, so that there's going to be a fifty-fifty balance, and <laughs> listeners can make their own minds. There's going to be no, no majority. I think we might just keep going because we haven't got that long. And okay. then we'll just Because I really want to talk about a fascinating book that I've just read and we'll share um, a link to this with listeners. It's a fantastic book by um, Ayana Goodfellow, who is a 15-year-old wow. writer mm. from London. 15-year-old, black, queer, um, radical um writer from London and this is published by um, Active Distribution in the UK who do some fantastic things. I enjoyed this so much because it challenges our whole idea about pethood and they talk mm. very much about animals being colonised into pethood and just just let me um, just explain what Ayana talks about in, in terms of radical companionship. So it is a developing theory for evolving our relationships with others through an anti-species lens. So the ideas behind radical companionship generally focus on human, non-human relationships, particularly those that we share with companion animals, or as Ayana says in the book, animals colonised into pethood. Mm. At a basic level, radical companionship is a way of creating thought-provoking interspecies relationships in a way that evokes liberation-orientated principles. Now, I know we don't have enough time to get into all of the detail of the book. Maybe that's going to be another show, but I really, really do recommend um, that people have a look at it because we also really need to understand that respecting animals actually means never dismissing or minimising their experience and recognising that um, non-human animals exist as themselves and they are not here for us. Mm. And that's yes. part of my huge issue with yes. companion animals and pethood. I, Even though I, I grew up you. with dogs I did too. and I love dogs, yes. I love my partner's dogs, yeah. I just uh, have so many issues about the way we overlay our own wants and needs yes. onto these animals. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's all about also that layering, that consent thing as well. Correct. You know, Correct. Uh, we could probably do an entire I show on I think we need that. to do an entire yeah. show on this. Absolutely. But, um, it's definitely sort of worth, yeah. worth having a discussion about, isn't it? Oh, mm. definitely. And it really ties into those thoughts we were having like spurred from the documentary because it is that, yeah, questioning that notion of like where do you draw the line between like a just – a relationship with another being mm. versus that 
what coercive control, ownership, ownership, all those sort of terms. It's like it it sounds like when you when you say it as one sentence in an isolated way, it sounds very easy to be like, oh yeah, you just draw the line there. But when you really critically look at the lives of humans and animals cohabitating, it gets really blurry. Mm, It's really hard to sort of go, well, are you doing this really with the animal's best interest or are you doing this because it's what you want or because what you you think Mm. it's what they want? And are you giving them the option to choose? Mm. And I think, um, you know, honestly, sometimes, you know, it, it gets complicated with consent between humans and, you know, like that whole we are communicating people we can communicate what we want and you know we we know we speak the same language but even then we really have to figure it out and we have to you know understand what you know what's the right thing what's the wrong thing and we really have to have a conversation about it how are we to then try to figure it out when we can't communicate clearly uh, with another species and not Mm. understand exactly what they're saying because we've always got to be thinking we've always talked about this you and i trev on our shows um you know are we putting our wants and our needs and seeing what the animal does through that lens Mm. Mm. and i think often we are Mm. and we're not even noticing it Mm. and at the same time we have a huge responsibility to support these animals that we have bred into existence correct in often dire horrible circumstances whether they have been um you know bred into the greyhound racing industry or Mm. or whatever Mm. um so it is balancing that as well isn't it that you know we in the here and now have a huge responsibility to look after those animals it is definitely a burden of responsibility on us for whom find themselves in dire circumstances because of what we've done yeah but at the same time, that doesn't give you an excuse to. Like, I'm saying I agree with you, but it's, it doesn't give you the excuse to go too far and to project what you think they want and to control them or to coerce mm. their lives. And it, it's mm. so difficult to try and find that balance. But I completely agree with you that we have an obligation to do our yeah. best to make their lives as best as possible. And yeah. it's just we have to be constantly criticizing ourselves into how we can do it better. And, yeah. and importantly, decentralising the human ego. Correct. Yeah. You know, having, looking Correct. at it from a point where we're not central, centering our own selves. And, yeah. and that's something I really like about this style of film that is centred on the animals. There's really no narration. Yes, we hear some conversations, but that's like a background to these dogs' lives. Mm. You know, there's other films that do a very similar thing. Um, EO, the film about the donkeys. Um, you know, Gunda yeah. really has no sort of talking um, in that uh, cow, the documentary, um, you know, pretty similar. So what do we think the impact of films like that 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 centre on animal and really take that kind of um, fairly, seems like a fairly new approach to um, documentaries with animals or have on just general public, you know, watching, watching something like that? I think, um, I mean, the ancestor of these kinds of documentaries is Baraka, you know, because it was, it, that made a huge impact when we had that, like when we first, that came out and people were like, there's no narration, there is literally just life. That actually had some quite intense animal themes in it, yeah. uh, some mm-hmm. very intense animal themes. And I actually yeah. remember people saying to me, look, I, I actually had to think about our relationship with animals by from watching Baraka. And I wonder yeah. if these kinds of uh, documentaries that are coming out where there is no narration and we literally just watch the animal in their life, yeah. if it's doing the same thing. You know, if, if again, these documentaries are decentering the human ego, 
and simply observing an animal uh, mm. doing what it does. Yeah, yeah. I you think know? it's really powerful for what that does. I, I don't think that all of the films that have been created in that way are necessarily all great in the way that they do it because you can definitely sometimes see the the intention from the director or the producer of, of what they're wanting to portray and what even oh, though there's no narration it's still there's can definitely come an influence oh for sure yeah. but um yeah. sort of excluding that or trying to ignore that or just sort of peel it off as a layer i think there's real value in in that style of documentary because you do get to force yourself to try and view it a different way. And I don't think it's very often that we confront like that style of perspective. You know, we all live very busy lives. We don't always, it it gives us a time to sit down for an hour and a half or two hours and it forces you to actually think about it from a different perspective, which you don't always do otherwise. We certainly don't, Mm. no. Fascinating yeah. discussion. Now, I'm just wondering, um, where discussion. can people have, like, where can people view Stray? Um, so, I didn't find that it was on any of the streaming services in Australia. I actually um, viewed it on YouTube, Same. where you could buy it or you could hire it. So, yeah. I just hired yeah. it on YouTube. I think it was $4.95. That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely well worth it. Yeah, definitely Absolutely. well worth it. We're we probably going to have to wrap up, but yeah. I did want to do a couple of quick shout outs. Our friend Sally from Out of the Pan had actually mentioned that the 8th of October, which we missed last week, was World Octopus Day. Yes. Did you know that? I did oh, you not. You did know that. I did oh, not, I did but not know I that. am fascinated by them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sally. Yay. Um, if people haven't seen it, I would recommend seeing My Octopus Teacher. Oh, that I've got was to see a that. Fascinating, yeah. lovely film on. Available on Netflix. And the other quick thing is um, to actually say happy birthday to Rick O'Barry. So people might know Rick O'Barry, who he actually was a trainer on the Flipper show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess during the course of his work with animals and with dolphins, realised what an absolutely terrible thing it was to be training them to do silly tricks. And on um, the first Earth Day in 1970, he found the founded sorry the dolphin um project so it's been going since 1970 mm. and people might have seen his documentary the cove which is oh all about dolphins yeah. yeah if you haven't seen that one highly recommend it yeah we are so super out of we're time wrap up after us is rotation so stick around for one hour of music from two till three and we're going to finish yep. with we're going to have another track from soul dusk and this track is called drogue Summoning up our storm 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.